This episode of CougarCast is brought to you by CareerWise. CareerWise with a Z. The growing field of medical coding might just be right for you. A career in medical coding can be obtained in as little as four to six months through the online leaders in education for the career field of medical coding. That's CareerWise. Wise with a Z. If you are interested in this career field, go give them a look at careerwise.com. That's careerwize.com. And check out their YouTube and Facebook page. And now, it's time for Cougar Cast. Greetings, my name is Keith Schertz. And this is CougarCast. Thank you very much for tuning into the program. I promise it won't be nearly as boring as the Punt Fest from last Saturday. Good grief. BYU falls to a not very good Northern Illinois team at home, 7-6. Now, I know Northern Illinois is 5-3, but they have not beat anybody that is very good this year including the Cougars. BYU falls in a game where they failed to reach the end zone. So they're the only ones to do that against Northern Illinois this year. Think of that. Here's a list of schools. Eastern Illinois, Iowa, Utah, Central Michigan, Florida State, Eastern Michigan, Ball State, Ohio and BYU. One of these is not like the other, and it's BYU because they didn't score a touchdown against the Huskies of Northern Illinois. Wow. Okay, so, look. The first thing that I wanted to hit at, because it is the most important thing, and I don't know how to quite cross this bridge because I kind of feel like there's no going back. But folks, here we go. And for those of you who have been loyal listeners to the show, I appreciate it first. But here comes the coded language that you'll recognize. I want to get this out of the way. Kalani Satake is a really good guy. Boy, he's a good guy. He's just, he's really nice. He's what a citizen he is. What a good guy. And if you've been paying any attention to the show, you'll know what that means. It means that he's not good at his job. In life, there'll be time and time again in your own work or as you follow sports. Where when all that anybody talks about when it comes to that person is how good of a guy they are. What does Dave bring to the business? Well, he's a really nice guy. (laughs) You see what I mean? Kalani Satake may be the nicest of all guys in the world. 
but he isn't much for a football coach, at least a head football coach. At least a football coach without his mentor, Kyle Whittingham, around him. This was my biggest realization from the Northern Illinois game. See, as time goes by, accountability can go up. So you look at a season where you go 8-4 and four and you think you should have done better. You wonder about quarterback. That's his first year. Not only do they go 8-4 and four and they're 8 points away from an undefeated season, but let's also remember that there are about 4 games that year that they could have lost had the play not gone the right way at the end. So that could have easily been much worse than 4-8. and eight. They just found a way to get by because Jake Oldroyd hit a field goal. Rhett Almond hit a field goal. They won an overtime against a rat uh, Mississippi State team. And they were able to, to pull out some wins. There was a lot of luck that happened that first year, and every single bounce seemed to go BYU's way. Except for against Utah because, you know, Then his second year, everything goes four and eight. And accountability starts running into the quarterbacks. Then it goes into Ty Detmer. And then you change the entire offensive staff. Offense isn't much better this season. Accountability goes up. So it's not just a systematic reason, though. The other reason is, is I have noticed this, and this is, I think, a fair way to describe what it's been like to cheer for a team coached by Kalani Satake for almost three years now. Better part of three seasons. When things are going well, there's passion, interest, excitement shown by the head coach that then becomes exuberant through the players on the sideline. And when things are only average or only okay or worse, there seems to be a real lack of fight, interest, and creativity From our head coach. I don't see a ton. Look, this season, there's been only one game where we physically saw a rah-rah. Guys, your effort's not good enough. And unless we start playing like we're interested, we're going to get embarrassed out here. And he saved that speech for McNeese. It's easy to get up for a game at Camp Randall Stadium against the number six team in the country who beat you by 35 points at home last year. But when you're trying to win a bowl game, pick up some momentum, pick up your, sec- your freshman quarterback who's making a second start, and figure out a way to come up with one freaking touchdown wins you this game. One. One of them. And we can't find a inspirational speech 
we're going to fist pump the most because we punted away and then forced a three and out? That's the moment because, hey, I'm vindicated. They all booed me. I trusted my defense and then defense you came through. When things are going good, he's interested and engaged. And when things are only okay, or when things are bad, he disengages. For the better part of three seasons, we've watched that. That is the Kalani Sataki experience. And I don't think there's refuting that. And I believe that through osmosis, through leadership, that translates down to everybody else. Everybody else takes their cues from the man in charge. It's just the way it is. It's how it is at work. It's how it is at church. You know, how engaged your bishop is turns out to be how engaged everybody else seems to be. And it's how it's going to be when you play sports. So that's to me. Uh, And by the way, I think that's translated up into the stands. Which, you know, maybe we'll talk about a little bit later on. We'll get into the controversy of why aren't people aren't coming to the games. But I think people are tired of feeling like when the team has energy and stuff, boy, they play pretty good football. But if they face the slightest bit of adversity, they are weaklings who fold and give up. So Northern Illinois is making it a little bit tough on you. Okay. Instead of being tough back and being tougher, you're going to try some snaky stuff <laughs> like a tackle screen with the game on the line. Good grief. How silly. Trick plays are the thing, aren't they? When they work, it's awesome. And when they don't work, it's like, oh my gosh, that was so dumb. <laughs> We all might be praising it if it worked. I, I understand the fickleness of that scenario. But that attitude I have ascribed to individual players throughout this season. But it finally, finally, for whatever reason, clicked in my head. I was able to get by the fact that Kalani Satake is a good guy. Just a, he is a true gent. Polite society has never seen a better participant than Kalani Satake. (laughs) But I finally was able to look by some of that and go, look, this is a guy who likes it when things are good and he doesn't like it when things aren't good. Instead of being steady. Bronco was never going to take us to a super special place. We, we Look, as far as BYU football goes, maybe that's as good as you can expect in the modern era of college football to finish in the top 15 for three or four seasons in a row and win 10 games 
for three or four seasons in a row. Maybe that's as good as it gets. So maybe he did take us as far as we could go in the modern era, getting rid of what Lavelle was able to do. It's certainly the best stretch of football that occurred during my lifetime. But those special, special, special years like they had in the early 80s, I don't know if that'll ever happen again for BYU simply because of the structure of the sport. But to Bronco Mendenhall's credit, while he wasn't an energetic guy on the sideline, there was an absolute steadiness to what he expected and what he desired from every single game. And you felt it permeate through the team. You play Broncos teams, they're going to play their tail off, and it's not going to be very fun against them. And they're going to work their way to eight wins. Kind of like what's happening over at Northern Illinois. Discipline, tough, mentally tough teams win a game like the one last Saturday. They figure it out. They find a way to pull it through. And that can only take you so far because then you're going to lose. So then, you know, when BYU didn't have all-timers like Max Hall and Harvey Unga and Austin Colley and Dennis Pitta, They started winning eight games a year. And you look at what it's like to win eight games a year and never really beat anybody that's truly good. (laughs) And you go, well, at least you're winning eight games a year and you're beating the teams you should and you're losing the teams that you should too. And frustratingly, you're never beating your rival. But hey, we're going to compete and fight like dogs every single time we go out there. With Kalani, you just can't expect... Who knows? Who knows? They might show up in Boise this weekend and and blow the tires off the Broncos. It's possible. But that steadiness factor, that expectation of what is the minimum of what we need to achieve every single time we step onto the field and what we're going to look at, Boy, the variance is just so different. There was no moment against Northern Illinois that even hearkened to a memory of what happened just six simple weeks before against Wisconsin. Or even two weeks before against Hawaii. They played a bunch of tough guys and they punked out. BYU's a better team. They've got better talent. They were at home. They had every ability to beat that team. And they couldn't do it. When you're losing games that you shouldn't lose and you're losing them because... There's just zero consistency of effort. That's a coaching issue. I don't know what BYU can do about it. I don't know what you ought to expect BYU to do about it. My realization is is that the Cougars are never going to be special with Kalani Sadhaki. Never. But Keith, hey man, 
they were playing eight freshmen on offense and several freshmen on defense. It's a young, inexperienced team in a couple years. And hey, they were four and eight last year. I mean, you can't expect them to get that much better overnight. You know, it was always going to be a five or six win season. Sure. Okay. Let's ignore the fact that it is indeed possible to go from a terrible team to a great team. UCF is one of, on one of the longest winning streaks in college football history, and it came directly after going 0-12. They started at it the next year. They went 6-6, six and six, went bowling, lost in the bowl game, and then haven't lost another game since. Holy smoke. Notre Dame was garbage in 2016. They were 4-8. Next season, 10-3. Michigan State, 3-9 in 2016, 10-3 the next year. You can absolutely turn it around. And you can be successful freshmen. And beyond that, if you're only playing freshmen because, oh, they're my guys, or they're the only ones that can do what we're asking them to do, I, I have no... Look, the point is, you're making decisions about who the best guy on the field is. If you were able to bring in freshmen that are better than your juniors, then great. It's not an excuse. It's not an excuse. They're better than the guys on the bench, right? You're playing your best team. It's not an excuse. If we're busy playing not the best 11 guys on the field, they need to wake up. They went 4-8 and eight last year. The entire offensive staff was fired. We slow play in this like it's the World Series of Poker? You're going to lose a few rounds so the other guy tires out? Muhammad Ali? Really? Oh, but they got all those freshmen out there. They must be better than the other guys. Right? That's why they're playing. Give me a break. The coaches are playing who they think the best players are. So that's not an excuse. If we're losing games and they're like, yeah, but we only, you know, we did play freshmen out there. It's like, yeah, hey, guess what then? <laughs> like, it, that, are you telling me that's not your best 11 guys? Put your best 11 guys on the field. Maybe we'll win. It was a one point game after all. Come on! Well, experience, you know, experience. Okay. Well, if experience is a factor, then play someone with more experience. Put the best people on the field to win the game. Well, that's what we did. Okay! Then play the freshman, but don't make excuses. And don't tell me it's a process that takes time and you can't get that much better overnight. You can. This team is capable of so much more, but they don't get there. Why? Has to be that it's Kalani Sataki. It's driving me crazy how up and down this team is.
And then it occurred to me that that guy is up and down. If the game comes easy, he's having fun. He's dancing on the sideline. He's pumping his fist. He's jumping and everything else. Slapping his players' helmets and oh yeah, woo! Okay? And when there's a little bit of adversity and things aren't going quite right, he shuts down. And I get it. You're not supposed to be jumping up and down all this stuff when you're losing by, you know, 10 or whatever. I get it. I understand that. That would be bad optics too. What I'm getting at is there's things that you can do to motivate an extra level of execution, desire, intensity. And and we don't have that gear. We don't access that gear. The one game where he dug down deep and said, let's go. We're going to fight. You know, that we're, this isn't going our way. We got to make something happen now or else this is going to be a long day. Was McNeese. Okay. So, look, I just don't believe, unless he can fundamentally change his approach and thought process, and I'm not saying I would be good at this. All I'm saying is, as a leader himself, in that role, his job is to provide a stability and understanding of what it means to compete at a certain acceptable level with a certain level of you know passion, intensity, and enjoyment for being there. And instead, what we got was Punt Fest 2018. And in the critical moments, not enough focus to hold still and not have a false start. Not enough focus under center to make sure that we're not going to confuse the guys on the offensive line and have false start. Not enough confidence in their ability to, you know, oh, they're showing blitz. I'm going to be fine. The ball's going to move. I'm going to make my drop and I'm going to block that sucker. Nope, we're nervous. We're nervous. We're not prepared for this big moment. Because right now, <sighs> they play tight when it's not going well, and they play loose when it's going well, and there's just no consistency. It, it's, it's the problem with this team. And I believe that it comes from the man at the top. And I also believe that because of that, the Cougars are never going to be truly special with Kalani Sitake. A lot of people are wondering why there's not 65,000 in the stands at Lavelle Edwards Stadium. We're going to get to it right after this. So it turns out that attendance numbers announced over the PA system and the official attendance numbers tend to be exaggerated like an inauguration crowd size. Just a little bit more than, say, you saw with your eyes. Who are you going to believe? The numbers or your lion eyes? 
Look. It wasn't a very full house last Saturday. And honestly, I think those that went made a mistake. <laughs> Hot take. Sure, you may have had fun uh, eating a cougar tail, which is just a long, long maple bar. You know, you could buy two maple bars and you could have a cougar tail wherever you are. <laughs> and you can sit on a bench that's uncomfortable in the sun anytime it's nice. Except for most benches in a park have a nice back to them. You can really settle in. And they don't cost at minimum like, what, 20 bucks to go? So here's the thing. It's not very fun to watch BYU football from home. When you can see everything that's going, when you don't have to wait in line for the bathroom, when you can order any kind of food and it's brought to you. Where you don't have to listen to Pretty Fly for a White Guy being played by the power of the Wasatch. And yeah, you miss out on cougarette routines from your seat. And they're, you know, like a couple inches tall from where you are. And Cosmo's dancing, sure. Right now, like, the biggest selling point... Like, the most exciting thing that's going to happen at a game is, like, Cosmo's head's either going to fall off or he's going to dance. So, there you go. But why? I mean, come on. Why aren't there people in the stands? <laughs> come on. It's simple. It's an entertainment play. In the preview of this entire season... All I said is, is that the sport of college football is inherently rigged. BYU is on the wrong side of it. There's no stakes whatsoever for BYU. If they go undefeated, they're not going to be included. For the second time, I'll mention the UCF Knights, who have won 20-plus games in a row, I think 22 in a row, 23 in a row. They're going to go undefeated two straight years, and they're not going to get into the college football playoff. BYU isn't getting in, folks. Even if they go undefeated, even with a hard schedule, BYU is not getting in. They aren't. But let's stop that crazy talk. We've lost to Utah State two years in a row. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I frankly have lost track of how many we've lost to Utah in a row. But in theory... Should everything go perfectly for BYU, there's no way that they're going to get in. So look, what are the stakes of playing the game of football at BYU? They're along the trail to fame and glory. Except for, in this case, only fame. Glory isn't accessible. You see, BYU is an entertainment enterprise that's it you can you imagine if they made a homecoming spectacular as exciting as the punt fest 
That was the 7-6 to six game against Northern Illinois. I bet you can, actually. <laughs> I bet you can imagine a homecoming spectacular just as, as boring. But seriously, at least you can be excited and proud of somebody if you go attend one of the graduation ceremonies at BYU. Imagine going to something like Stadium of Fire and having no fireworks. The reason that you go and be interested in a sport, in a game of any sort, is all based around intrigue and what there is at stake. There has to be some sort of narrative that drives things. There's a whole lot of fights that happen. There's so many UFC fighters and octagon fights and boxing matches around the world. But who do you know about? Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather. Why? Because they always make sure that there's something to either cheer for or cheer against. Every single time. That's where the money is. Boxing's not interesting unless you have somebody to cheer against and somebody to cheer for. Well, that's not a problem for BYU. Everyone there is there to cheer for BYU. That's true. But we're not really in a position to boo a team like Northern Illinois, are we? No. Okay, well, what's going to really make us cheer hard? Scoring some points? Yeah, that'll help. Well, what's going to make me leave my house and go to the stadium to watch us play a 4-3 and three Northern Illinois team from the MAC? What is the manifesto of BYU football? Is it on the climb or is it on the decline? It's hard to say this year. They're better. They're going to win more than four games this year. But are we truly on the climb? What's the narrative? What's there to cheer for? Give me something to be intrigued by. Guess what didn't happen anywhere as people got, <laughs> got out of the parked and they paid for parking in some cases and they they why <laughs> maybe you didn't have to pay for parking there's so few people but they made their way to the stadium young boys looking at their dad saying dad thank you for bringing me today we get to see red almond punt can you believe it oh my gosh we get to see red almond punt ah thanks for bringing me here <laughs> We get to hear the band play Pretty Fly for a White Guy. And they're going to play Sweet Caroline over the... the, 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 So, look. the, The experience of going to a game has to be one where there's stakes. And the problem is, is when you don't win and when you struggle and when you're in independence, living without anything to play for, No stakes attached to the game. Okay? When you're only on the along the trail to fame and glory, and the sport itself allows you no glory, 
And so then it's fame, but oh shoot, we're four and three and playing Northern Illinois. What are the stakes? What's the intrigue? Okay, well, it's a nice day out. Cool. But at cheapest, right? Even if you go alone, you're going to get something to eat. You're going to buy your ticket. You're going to get a drink. And the next thing you know, you've blown 40 bucks going to watch Red Almond Punt. Well, they invested in a ton of Wi-Fi. Yeah. No, I definitely came to the football game so that I could check my Snapchat. <laughs> let's do let's do what we can to disengage people. The experience of watching the game from home is superior than the experience watching the game there. It's excruciating. And, uh, yeah, I blasted Kalani Satake for being up and being down. And I'm not blasting fans for not being just as passionate on that. Guess what? I believe that you take your cues. You take your cues from the guy in charge. Tonight, there was a story published on KSL.com. Sean Walker did a nice bit of reporting here. He was talking to senior defensive back Michael Shelton. They got talking about how they are two and three at home and two and one on the road. I've noted that BYU's played better on the road than they have at home. They asked Michael Shelton what he thought about that. He said, I'm going to give you, this is quote, I'm going to give you an honest opinion. I like playing on the road because I think that the atmosphere is a lot better than our atmosphere at home. I like playing at home, but sometimes our fans can be a downer and it brings us down. I think we feed off energy when we play away. That's what I mean by feeding off energy at away stadiums. We feed off getting booed. It gives us something to look forward to. When we're home, we don't get many cheers and we don't get many boos. So what are you really playing for? Yeah, guess what else? The fans aren't sure what we're playing for. Like, if there was a stated thing like, hey, look, this is about Sione Takitaki getting 20 sacks. <laughs> that would be dope, right? That would be so much fun. It's like, he's, he's just going to blitz the quarterback all game. <laughs> if there was a stated thing like, look, it's six wins. We're, we're going to kill ourselves to get to six wins. There hasn't really been that explicit conversation about what's at stake and what's the goal and what are we trying to get. And if the argument that Michael Shelton's making, and by the way, I'm not necessarily saying he's wrong, but if his argument is, is that, hey, look, we're a team that feeds off energy, whether it's negative or positive, we're not really hearing much when we're at home. Okay. Well, then you need to take an inventory of everything that needs to go on to get people to care about the team again. This really peculiar thing, I'm going to give my opinion of, of, of events here and explain what I believe has happened to the student section. When I was a student at BYU, they did things pretty different with the way they handled The Rock. It wasn't even called The Rock, okay? 
I actually wrote an article about this on Vanquish the Foe like five years ago. But something happened that was peculiar. It was during the magical Jimmer for Debt season. At the end of that season, there was a game against Wyoming, and since fans were camping out for days, and even to get the last seat in the house, you needed to be six or seven hours early, with lines extending all the way around the Marriott Center and into the parking lot for the rich people next to the Marriott Center, right, where the players, coaches, and very wealthy get to park. The line was so long for the students trying to get in. And then they'd bring in the kids finally, and we'd all sit there, and we'd be there like for like five hours. So what are we going to do with these kids while they're there? Well, they decided that they would do a flash mob during the game, okay? So at the end of like, you know, at halftime or with 10 minutes left in the second half or something, they had all the students work on a uh, flash mob that was put together, and it was fun. And it really ignited and, and got the crowd going and stuff. Okay, so this all happened with this really engaged team. Now, there were stakes with that team because the sport of college basketball has a structure and organization where you can be on the, uh, along the trail to fame and glory. Okay? The sport's just completely set up differently. But moving past that, what I believe happened is that the BYU marketing department for the sporting events looked at that and said, oh my gosh, the kids are ready to do kind of what we ask and, and say of them. So what they did is, and if you remember, they published an absolutely ridiculous video called the BYU Fan Playbook that came out following the season, just before football season of 2011. On the heels of fans creating Jimmer mania and the word Jimmered and Jimmer range and all the creative signs. I mean, literally, the BYU fans, again, lining up around, put on a huge exhibition of how to be some of the best fans in America. And BYU marketing looked at that and went, you know what? These guys don't know how to be fans. We're going to start telling them how to do it. And they've proceeded to do the same thing ever since. And it's a problem. Here's some of the things they thought BYU fans didn't know before the football season of 2011. Here we go. Cougar fans, the 2011 football season is here. Everybody's excited. Brought everyone here tonight to make a video to kind of show you some of our football game day traditions that we do here at BYU. Number one wear blue number two tailgate two and a half hours before kickoff on the west side of the stadium number three we're going to go out to the cougar on the southwest corner of the stadium about 45 minutes before kickoff the band plays follow them in early why so we show the opposing team that we have a presence number four is don't stop believing wait what the song we're going to have a highlight video playing and showing all y'all singing that song just like this. Just a small town. So to recap what they're suggesting here is after the pregame show by the Cougar Marching Band 
and the cougar spell, and then they're going to go by the tunnel and form. And instead of the whole stadium doing the B, Y, U, Cougars, which is literally the coolest thing that we do at football games. <laughs> I know it's not original, but it's just cool. The the four sections doing their part. That's literally like the best thing that we do. <laughs> Let's get rid of that so that everyone sings Don't Stop Believing together. Ugh. Woof. This didn't take. And I'm grateful. Number five is kickoff. When we're kicking off, the band is gonna go ba -ba -da -ba -da -ba -da with the drums. We the fans are gonna go, oh! And then when the kick happens, bah! Go Cougars! The next two have to do with offense. Anytime that we get a first down on offense, the PA announcer says, that's another Cougar. First down! Number seven, anytime that we score a touchdown, this is what we do. <laughs> Before the opposing team's first down, this is what we do. Six chance of defense. Defense! 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 Number nine, third down on defense. Whatever song plays, we are loud. Cue random song. That's how we do it here at BYU. Cool. So they think we're all dumb. <laughs> The point of going through all of that was just simply to say, look, I don't know what happened, but they watched what happened when the fans just created Jimmermania were unbelievably great fans, okay? And then they did this thing with them. I think that the, the, the flash mob is what made them be like, you know, we could do more with these people. And then, so they're like, let's do Don't Stop Believing." <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, the, point, the point for me is don't don't limit and be so controlling over what the fans are going to do. The fans didn't create the you got jimmered chant. The fan you know, or sorry, marketing didn't create that. The fans did. If marketing came up with it and told us to chant it, we wouldn't have done it. Like allow the BYU fans and students have the ability to etch out their own unique flavor of fanhood. Let them do it. A freshman orientation we, you know, pound in their head. Before the game, we're going to play Power by Kanye West. We're going to put our arms around each other and lean back and forth. And that's fine. Do that. But it's just so orchestrated nowadays. It's just crazy to me. Right? And it's like... It's like they thought that we weren't good enough fans before. And it's really weird to me because we were always pretty good fans and creating a place that was kind of difficult to play in. Generally speaking, at basketball games, you know, they hand all the students all these signs. They harangue the students, you know, to, to okay, for this free throw, do this. We're all going to be quiet and then stand up and jump. We're going to go left, 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 right. We're going to, like, instead of just being like, hey, uh, have fun. <laughs> be involved in the game and, and enjoy it and make noise because you want to help the team. Not because... You know, you happen to be sitting in a section and there's people holding up signs and telling you what to do. 
they, they give out heads, the giant heads for people to wave around. Like it, the whole thing is none of the students bring any of that. None of the students are bringing their own creativity and own interest to it because they don't have to anymore. And when you don't allow for any creativity, you kill it and you kill interest in it. And so I actually do believe that this kind of matters. The other thing that I think is kind of interesting with the shrinking student section is when I was a student there um, for the all sports pass, all they did was they rotated seats. So you got six, you got to go to six games a year. You had two good seats, really good seats for the game. You had two really bad seats and two okay seats. So they allowed for, you know, passionate fans to be all over the place in the stadium. Some weeks you had a bad seat. Some weeks you had a really good seat. And even if it's Northern Illinois and you're close, you're excited because you're close. It's it's your week to be close. Now, if you want to be close and have a good fan experience at a BYU football game, you better love camping. You better love waiting hours and hours and hours beforehand and camping out in order to get a good spot. If you don't camp, you can't get the really good experience. Well, that's not really what we want it to be, is it? And it also means that your most passionate, most dedicated fans are all together, but they're not interspersed with everybody else to try to translate some of that passion to everybody. Anyway, I just think it's those things will matter, and I think that it's part of the issue. As for Michael Shelton, as you look back at it, I wrote an article about my response to kind of everything with Michael Shelton. You can go check it out. It's on vanquishthefoe.com. Okay. So go give that a read if you would. I'd appreciate it. Now it's time to talk a little bit about Boise State. The Boise State Broncos play up in Boise, Idaho on Albertson Field on Blue Turf, famously known as BCS Busters. The Boise State football team has traditionally been one of the most consistent performing programs of the 21st century. So let's give you a little profile on what to expect of Boise State. They're 6-2 on the season. They currently rank 32nd and F-plus on footballoutsiders.com. Basically, the statistical analytics say they're the 32nd best team in the country. If you're curious, BYU is 87th. Here's the five teams in front of them. Baylor, Air Force, Florida International, Florida Atlantic, and Tennessee. <laughs> Right in front, the Cougars are right in front of North Carolina, UCLA, hey, Arkansas State, Middle Tennessee, and Wyoming. So that's where the Cougars are. Uh, the teams around Boise State, just to give you a little bit of an idea of kind of the difference. Here's the five above: Houston, Wisconsin, Duke, Texas Tech, North uh, North Carolina State, and Utah State, all ahead in F plus. Just beneath them, you have Cincinnati, Temple, North Texas. Texas and Oklahoma State. F-plus does not like the Longhorns. Fascinating. Well, anyway, Texas was eventually caught out, weren't they? 
A loss to Maryland is still a loss to Maryland after all. Okay, so back to Boise State. A little rundown of their season opened the season against the Troy Trojans, who got a road win at Nebraska this year. Of course, everybody's getting road wins at Nebraska. Uh, anyway, <laughs> 56-20 over Troy at home. Then they played UConn 62-7 at home. They then went to Oklahoma State, where Mike Gundy took them down 44-21. Handled Wyoming in Laramie 34-14. Close one to San Diego, San Diego State. They lost at home 19-13. They, that doesn't happen very often. San Diego State, very good running game up there. I guess down there from where I'm sitting. Boise State then went on. They bounced back 31-27 over the Nevada Wolfpack in Reno. Went on to win again. Boise State 56, Colorado State 28. And then last week they played Air Force at Air Force and won 48-38. Well, it appears that you can score points against Boise State. It also appeared that you could score points... In a lot of other games this year, and we, we weren't able to do that. <laughs> I, I uh, well, we, we did against Hawaii. One of the things that you have to begin to wonder about right away, instantly, is what other game does this sort of remind you of? Or what opponent does Boise State kind of strike a chord with you where you go, oh, yeah, okay, they're kind of like this team. And the team that I came up with was Utah State, and that's really bad news. Ignoring for a minute that we never win in Boise, and even if it's close, we always seem to find a way to not have it happen. We've just we've never won up there. And ignoring the fact that if it's not been close, it's been really, really bad up there. Um, I really... Uh, like what Boise State can do offensively. I think that they are uh, extremely strong offensively. Of course, you know about Brett Rippon, son of uh, Mark. <laughs> anyway, 23 touchdowns, five interceptions on the season. He's a 163.95 quarterback rating. That is absolutely killer. He's averaging over 320 yards per game at 68% completion rate. So, obviously, he's up to no good if you're trying to defend that. That's going to be a real, real tough day. At the same time, they have a, a few running backs that, that can do some damage. Alexander Madison is a junior running back for them. He averages 4.25 yards per carry, 637 yards this year, and he has pounded it into the end zone eight times. And he's kind of their, their main guy when it comes to what they're trying to do with running the football. But this team can run, sure. But really what it's about is, is what they can do in their passing game and in their attack there and the way that they generate so many big plays and are able to score so many points. They, they do that because they make a lot of big plays. And, they, and so... One of the things that's really going to catch up to BYU in this game is, is they've got to find a way to be really limiting in the way that they're going to defend and in the way that they're going to try to make sure that Boise State stays off the scoreboard. Now, 
when Elisa Tuiaki was worried about a team with a good passing attack like Hawaii, they blitzed big time. And they tried to really get after it. But Hawaii didn't have, you know, any sort of reliability when it came to running. Well, Boise State does. So I don't know what their strategy is going to be because, yeah, it worked to blitz on Hawaii and mess things up. But I think a lot of the reason that they did that is because you could kind of have an idea and force the receivers to run certain routes based on your own formation. Boise State has none of that. Boise State lines up. They know what they're going to do, but you don't know what they're going to do. And that's one of the differences between, you know, playing Boise State and Hawaii. To me, again, the profile here is that Utah State team. Utah State is uh, more dynamic at scoring. They they seem to find a way to find space, and they know how to really move it. That Jordan Love's quite a player. Brett Rippon has been a very good quarterback at uh, Boise State. He finally has come into his own. He's having a really great year, 8.8 yards per attempt. But one of the things that you worry about with him in the past is that he kind of would make kind of the egghead play. He's not doing that this year, and he's not really giving other teams a chance. The way that you beat Boise State is you do it by scoring a lot of points yourself. Gulp. (laughs) Right? The issue with playing against Boise State is you've got to be able to score a lot of points if you're going to put them away. Okay? Their lowest scoring total in any game this year was 13 against San Diego State. And guess what? San Diego State won. They scored 21 against Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State won. But in every other contest, they've exceeded 30 points. The defense's ability to stop Boise State and to keep them off the scoreboard is the number one factor. Because look, I don't think we can begin to hope that out of nowhere, we're going to score, you know, 40 points and hold them to 30. Fortunate things like that don't happen in that building. So one of the things that they're going to have to really do defensively is find a way to keep things in front and to make sure that there is not going to be very big plays, that there's going to be more contain that's done to try to keep things shorter. One of the other things that you can do is to pressure the quarterback and to make them uncomfortable. But for whatever reason, in all the other games of the year, except for that Hawaii game, they have elected to not blitz and not be super aggressive in trying to rush the quarterback. They have instead decided to try to pick their poison, really stay back, let them go, let other teams kind of go underneath and work their way down the field. In some ways, it'll be what you see with Boise. Uh, is is similar to kind of what you see at Washington. Because, you know, Washington is happy to kind of let things go underneath. But what would happen is, is they would just complete every single pass and were smart with just taking what they had and what BYU was willing to give them instead of giving them 25 yards on a pass attempt or the potential at 25 yards in a pass attempt, 
they gave them an assured six or seven yards. So there's a real chance that Brett Rippon might complete 90% of his passes. I really think that. And it will be because of the way that we decide to handle defending the pass against Boise State. If they run the football and run and run and run and they beat you because their run game has dominated you, then you know what? Like, God bless them, right? Like, styles make fights. And if they can beat you, if they can beat you with the thing that they're not as dominant at, the thing that they're not as good at, then, you know, they're going to (laughs) win. Right? But if if you go in there and, and... allow them to just pass and do what they want to do there, you're in trouble there. So I, I don't know what you do because I, I think that they're smart about the way that they handle each possession the way that Washington's smart. They take what's given. They're happy to take their six or seven yards, and they execute at a high enough level that there's not enough incomplete pa- plas- incomplete passes and drops to derail the, the series or penalties. More times than not, they're going to be disciplined enough to be able to make their move down the field and really be effective offensively. And this is why they score, on average, 40 points a game. Teams that allow them to kind of get loose and to throw and to be successful in their past game, they lose. So this entire game comes down to pass defense. For me, the best we looked on pass defense was against Hawaii. Like, Wisconsin isn't a good passing team. California's not a good passing team. Khalil Tate couldn't hit the broad side of the barn when we played him. He's not, he wasn't very accurate. But Jake Browning was, and he was awesome. Hawaii can throw, and they struggled. They were effective in some ways, but they struggled to put up points. Again, the difference between Hawaii and Boise State, Hawaii, you kind of know what the receivers are going to do. Boise State, you don't. But I do think that the reason that we did the best work that we did against the pass was against Hawaii this year. And I think so much of that had to do with disrupting the timing of everything that's going to happen because we're going to bring numbers and try to get to the quarterback. So how clean, and I'll use it in this sense, how clean Brett Rippon's jersey is, which of course will be blue and blend in perfectly with the, uh, with the field. So there's no way, you know, it's not, it doesn't get dirty. (laughs) So, Hey, maybe that's what it is. They put in the blue turf for branding purposes, but they also put it in because it really saved, uh, it saves them a bundle on on laundry. <laughs> Maybe Boise State's out there with a bunch of just stinky jerseys because, you know, you don't have to wash them ever because the blue goes on that blue. I mean, nothing ever. What's going to happen to it? <laughs> anyway, uh, you know, there are a lot of things happening with this football program right now. And it's a frustrating time. Obviously, the first 45 minutes of this podcast were me you know, airing some of those frustrations, I believe, um, in the things that I'm saying. Um, 
And I hope that I eat all the crow in the world when it comes to them. I really do. I hope I hope everybody can prove me wrong, and I'm happy to be wrong. Really am. It's always been one of my mantras since I've ever started doing this. It's my ninth year of podcasting about BYU football. And I'm telling you, I've, I love it every single time I'm wrong when I'm pessimistic. Love it. So I hope that Kalani can show me up. Um, and, you know, I'll tell you one thing I'm not wrong is the marketing thing. <laughs> I'm not wrong about that one. Um, but Boise State, to me, just even if we have a really good team and we go to Boise, we're in trouble. That's 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 how it has always been. So I don't know when we have this team that's kind of middling. It's four and four, uh, one good week, one bad week, one good week, one bad week. Bring in the new quarterback, one good week, one bad week. Like they're so inconsistent. Who knows, right? I don't know what to even expect out of BYU at this point. But I do know what to expect out of Boise, and I do know what history says about games up there. So, could be another frustrating game, late night game. So, we always play them late at night. That's the way it goes. But, uh, big game. Uh, you know, people really talk this up as a big rivalry. Yeah, I, I like beating Boise State. Don't get me wrong. That's, that's a good win, and I'm always happy to beat them. I don't know that I have the adequate like annoyance or whatever to really feel um the intensity of a, a rivalry here to me it's like rivalry on the same level as like you know when we hear about like Wyoming or like how San Diego State doesn't like us or whatever <laughs> like it's not quite there yet and i feel like the the games themselves really won't be a rivalry until BYU can figure out how to win up there so maybe the rivalry really truly begins between these two programs. If BYU can have an upset up in Boise again, maybe they're better on the road. Michael Shelton likes getting booed more than he likes having uh, his own fans support him under that theory. Right. Isn't the theory then that on senior day, when they come back, not that the, I'm, this should not happen, but on senior day that when they come back, isn't the idea then that, they should say, you know, senior cornerback Michael Shelton. And if the whole crowd like booed, like he'd be like elated at that. <laughs> right. Isn't that what he's arguing? And it's kind of weird, right? The whole thing's kind of infor- unfortunate. Like it's just. Ugh. But I know it was a little light on Boise State, but I don't know. Look, you analyze what's going to happen with this football team. They're so up and down. There's no way to know. Are they capable of beating Boise State at Boise? Of course they are. Are they going to? Probably not. But I don't know which team's going to show up. I have no idea. So, we'll all find out. You'll know pretty quickly. That'll be good. My sense is that you're going to see the good effort team. Because, again, they play up and they play down. We don't win up there. It's a tough place to play. This is a tough team. We're going to have to bring a good game. Okay. We'll bring a good game. Like I, I, That would be my bet. And so BYU will show for themselves. I don't know that they have the firepower to keep up with Boise State, but if we can keep Boise State under 30 points, we got a chance. 
We'll see. There's also a chance for it to just absolutely implode. <laughs> so I, I I wish I could give you a better a better read on it other than I I you know I I won't be shocked if BYU wins, but I I I don't expect them to do that. Just like everybody else, so nothing uh, shocking there. Um, some of you are going to hate this podcast. You're going to hate this episode. You're going to disagree with me violently. You're free to do so. I hope you're the right one and I'm the wrong one, right? And by the way, last thing on Kalani, I don't know what to do about it. But isn't it weird to be like in a Stockholm Syndrome spot? (laughs) It's like, well, we can't get anybody else. (laughs) There's no one that's better. You know, who else are you going to go run off to? (laughs) Who else is going to take care of you? You have no other options. It's like, that's not a healthy relationship to have with this whole thing. Okay, that's it for this week's Cougar Cast. Uh, Send me your thoughts. Cougarcast at gmail.com. You can also send a voice memo beyond the show itself. Just record a voice memo on your phone. Email it to cougarcast at gmail.com. Love to have you in. I uh, got more uh, back from Dr. Christensen about his stat. He gave me more updates with it. Actually, it looked like BYU did, uh, according to his stat, you know, okay. We did okay against Northern Illinois. We just weren't able to punch it in or we stalled out. We would see the. Anyway. I won't get into it. But we moved past the 50 and then punted. So the numbers showed that we were able to move it about 25 yards, 28 yards, I think. And uh, that sounded that sounds about right. We'd move 28 yards and then punt. So anyway, frustrating week this last week. Hopefully, at the very least, the Boise State game will give us something to be excited about. It'll be enjoyable to watch. And that's the bar. Thanks for listening. Go Cougars!